welcome to episode 21 of the Cast of Caw uh, on this bright and early morning recording where we are going to talk about all things related to the Dark Tower series by Stephen King. I'm your host, Rachel. And joining me is the other ha- joining me is the uh, shut up joining me is the other half of my content the one the only the morning person i've just learned dj i think this is actually the first early morning podcast you and i have ever done together and uh uh rachel was surprised to find out that i'm fresh awake and was like actually <laughs> bugging her a half an hour in advance of the cast to get started <laughs> I, I mean i'm just jealous like i have a deep envy for people who are morning people i've always looked upon them as like the superior beings of which i <laughs> i shall never i like i aspire to but will never be <laughs> uh, i just like to go get breakfast early you know so it's like uh get cleaned up get your day going whatever anyway enough about our morning routines yes. Uh, that's uh, we're back here with another show to continue on on our slow trek through book number three <laughs> of the cast of Kaw. Well, I mean, we were going to do this earlier, but then like our entire state caught on fire. So oh, yeah, I feel like we have a valid reason for being tardy this time. Like you almost burned to the fucking ground. <laughs> uh, new story for you guys. If uh, if you want the inside scoop, um, the fire made it to within about a half a mile of our house and they were evacuating our neighborhood. Uh, we're OK. Um, several of my coworkers no longer have homes and uh a lot of the town is in shambles right now so uh uh, i think uh, like 80 or 100 houses were lost on the edge of town and then into town multiple buildings started on fire because guess what building your house with a wooden roof is not a good idea in a fire zone yeah and unfortunately california is rapidly becoming one giant fire zone (laughs) well it's so it's crazy you go around the neighborhoods and they'll be like 20 houses burned down and then like three or four houses that didn't burn down and they're in interspersed with the other houses. It's like, well, what happened here? Oh, well, those other houses had like roof vents that sucked the fire into the house or, you know, they had a, a shake roof that started on fire or they had like shingles that weren't really rated for the area they're in. And so like or propane tanks that burst into flames outside, you know, don't store paint and flammable materials outside in a fire area. Mm. How's your roof? Uh, my roof is fine. My house is uh, made of stucco and uh, uh, sh- regular shingles, so I'm I'm safe. Okay, good. Glad to hear it. That was scary, especially when you were posting photos that looked like they were taken from Fallout on Facebook. I was oh, like, the, oh, the whole horizon was glowing, and like it's 10 o'clock at night, oh. and it looks like this pale early morning sunrise outside because the fire was so close, and uh okay so the plan for this week sorry i'm gonna be a little all over the place people i've only had one cup of coffee so far um this week we're gonna be continuing our journey through the wastelands with an in-depth uh conversation about okay these freaking chapter names i apologize the wastelands book one jake fear and a handful of dust chapter one bare and bone section 16 through 25 next week is our we're gonna finish this section (laughs) so i can stop saying this but i'm sure i'll have a whole new sentence but we'll deal with that next time but before we do all that dj would you please remind our listeners of our spoiler policy as usual rachel lists the very extremely long name of the chapter and section (laughs) that we're going to cover we will try not to go past that and if we have anything that covers the spoiler of the next chapters or future books we will draw a hard line in the sand see i referenced the book there oh nice Uh, so be prepared for that we will warn you otherwise what we say we'll cover is what we're covering 
Yep. Um, I will say we did get some feedback about the last show where we had the spoiler section. I think people really liked it. So if stuff like that comes up, we may do that again. Throw a spoiler section at the end of the show where we can like outdoor no holes barred spoiler section. Because uh, like basically the response was kind of like how we felt where it was like, oh, I'm so free to finally talk about the end. <laughs> <laughs> so that might happen again in the future. I don't know that it'll happen this week. I don't know if we have anything. But you know what? We didn't expect it last time. So maybe something organically will happen. It sneaks up on you. Yes. Okay. So um, this is the part of the show where I would read iTunes reviews, but we did not get any new ones this week. Uh, and so this is where I'm obnoxious and ask if you're enjoying the show to leave us a review on iTunes. Really helps us out. Lets people know we exist. And so we can grow our little, IT- our, our little cotet of nerds. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I say that word with love. So I'm not like, not like nerd shaming anyone. I am a total nerd. Um, but we do have some listener mail. So this is another part where I have to confess something. Okay. So I am a writer. That's what I do when I'm not podcasting about the dark tower. And, um, I got a new job and apparently like I got picked up by, there's this website called Muckrack where they, they like list writers, contact information and like all of their social media and blah, 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 blah. Um, which is super creepy. The internet data age that we live in is terrifying. But what's annoying is, despite the fact that I have like five emails, the one that they published on the site is my podcast email. So my podcast email got flooded with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pitches. And um, as a result, <laughs> it like I, like I thought I was finding all of the letters that were coming in, but I finally like spent like hours and hours last week going through and deleting all these things like like i made that website change the email address so it would stop like you know it's irritating but whatever um so in the process i discovered that there are like a handful of emails that i missed for like the various (laughs) podcasts so i have one from floyd that i'm gonna read today that is old and i just want to apologize because like i'm always like oh send us an email and then probably people are sending them and like that i don't actually read them so (laughs) if that has happened to you if you sent in a letter and like it didn't get read or whatever let me send it to me again let me know because it probably got lost in the epic avalanche of pr emails that filled my inbox for a couple of weeks people people don't realize rachel that if you run a website or you write a lot of review articles that every day someone is like hey you should look at our new thing hey you should talk about our new thing hey why don't you take this free product and do some talking about it like what no leave me alone i'll choose what i want to choose get out of here I mean, like, I get it. Like, I, I definitely have been on the other side of that where you're, like, trying to get people to notice something that you've done or, like, a study or whatever. But, like, when it when it numbers in the hundreds, it's very annoying. <laughs> Especially when it's not in the right – like, it, 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 I have a new email address that all that stuff is just, like, piling up in and that's where it belongs. But, like, when it's in my podcast email, like, that's too far. You've gone too far. <laughs> <laughs> So really quickly, this is a letter from Floyd that was sent to us, let's see, probably at the end of Drawing of Three. Okay, so Floyd says, I continue to dig the podcast and revisiting these stories through your analysis and discussion. Just wanted to share my thoughts on the drawing. This He agrees. This was the toughest book of the series for me to get through. It's so different in tone from The Gunslinger that I really had to work to let go of expectations as I began to read it. I agree that when it's great, it's great. But when it drags, it's a bit of a slog. 
The central flaw for me is the fish out of water story as Roland explores America in three different time periods. There's nothing wrong with the content. It's just that it didn't contribute much to the overarching quest story. Nothing that Roland learns about during the drawing episodes contributes or shapes his or our understanding of the tower. That is such a good point. I wonder if that's a part of the problem. It's like it, it, it feels so much like a side quest that it like... You want to know, like, at the end of Gunslinger, like, you feel like you're having these revelations and you're, like, eager to get there. And then it kind of, like, it sort of sidelines you in a way that's kind of frustrating. I don't know. Anyway. If they could, like, break the character buildup into multiple books and, like, pepper it with good stories, that would have been better. But Mm -hmm. uh, instead, you just get everybody. So an entire book of introductions. Yeah. Right. Uh, Okay, so he says, I'm really looking forward to hearing your conversations about books four and five. Those are my absolute favorites. Book five in particular has a ton of bro deep dialogue. Oh my God, I can't wait. Uh, Rachel, I'm with you. I love the action and the plot as much as I love the feels. Thanks again for the great podcast, Floyd. Well, thank you for this letter, Floyd. Um, I am super excited for bro deep dialogue. (laughs) (laughs) i'm guessing there's gonna be a lot of feels um because they see four and five are wizard and glass of course that's gonna be bro deep right Mm -hmm. and then what what is it wolves of kala yeah i think so oh god so sorry again floyd for the delay on getting that that letter (laughs) but like i said feel free to send emails if i missed one of yours in the past let me know it probably like it got lost in the in the shuffle i'm not familiar with the term bro deep is that like what uh uh, college kids tell their girlfriends when they you know quotes that they want to give them to make them sound like they're super into stuff or well i think floyd might have just like created it but my interpretation is like it's like when like bros are getting deep with each other, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, like you know, like finding like all the all the nuances of the word dude would be bro deep to me. You'd <laughs> be like, dude, dude, dude. You know that that qualifies. I mean, <laughs> bro deep. But I feel like I'm gonna definitely start using that in my everyday life. Yeah, that's a that's a good one. I'm yeah, I'll, I'll take a note of that. Test, test that out on my wife later. <laughs> All right. So, uh, if you, like Floyd, want to get in touch with us, I promise I will get it this time. You can email us at castofcaughtzombiegirls.com or you can join our Facebook group. I'm always happy to get messages there as well. Okay. Shall we get into the chapter? Sure, let's do it. Uh, as a precursor to this, uh, just a reminder, uh, we had killed the bear. <laughs> so, Aww, you know, R.I.P. Uh, R.I.P. Shardick the bear. Uh, he's down. Uh, they've uh, escaped uh, near death, and now they're sort of campfiring a little bit. And uh, so we, we pick up where we left off. Uh, uh, Eddie, Roland, and uh, uh, Susanna, they've like kind of closed in on on Roland a little bit mm-hmm. to like find out what is going on with Roland because he hasn't been acting himself. And from there, we expand on to uh, Roland's inside problem. And uh, we kind of touch on the bone, the jaw that finally comes back into the picture from uh, several books ago. <laughs> Where's he been keeping this this whole time? You know, like no one knows about it until just now. You know, like I, I guess that part's a little weird too. Uh, so they're campfiring. Roland explains that it, he is fractured into two people. His uh, uh, brain is sort of split between what is 
and what should be mm-hmm. and begins rolling story time of explaining all of the past things that we've gone through in the previous books. Now, Rachel, you got a lot more written on this than I really got out of this. Uh, so before we get to, uh, before I just fly on to Eddie's dream, yes. Yes. <laughs> go ahead and explain this more fully. Okay. Well, I mean, we have like Eddie sketching it out on the ground. Like they really are driving home exactly what's happening to to Roland's mind um, in a way that's a little like, okay, we get it. We get it. But then I guess it had been kind of a while between the books came out. So they're like, it feels like a lot of overkill for us, but I think it's more for the readers who like haven't, haven't just like gone granularly through the chapter and previous to it um but yeah so i mean this really kind of there's a ton of kill he throws into the fire i know it looks like there's a lot of notes here but this is all about him throwing it into the fire so, <laughs> so i think you probably can go for it <laughs> okay so if, if you're you don't remember it's a synopsis of the way station and finding jake mm-hmm. and finding the jawbone and the man in black and uh you know getting up to the top and then you know 100 years uh, in this sort of like time envelope and then uh, Roland taking the new jaw to replace the old jaw and so on and so forth. And the fact that he remembers Jake and he remembers fever dreaming about Jake and he does this kind of like impersonation of Eddie that creeps them all out mm-hmm. and uh, Eddie doesn't remember it and they realize the two brains. So then Roland out of the blue grabs the jawbone that he's just put so much uh, effort into explaining how important it is and throws it into the fire. Mm-hmm. And everybody's like, wait, wait, well, what? Wasn't that a really important object that you ne- needed to carry with you and you regretted that you gave up the previous one and so on? And, of course, uh, the mystical jawbone burns in the flames and presents itself to Eddie's wood carving mind. And he stares at the bones and it forms a key. Mm-hmm. And the key shape has an S at the end and it's very important that it has the S. And then it flowers. Uh, see, see what I did there? Uh-huh. Oh, it blooms. Into a, a glowing red rose, which is also fairly significant throughout the books. And we've had a little bit of this uh, sort of... Um, I guess, uh, uh, overarching uh, talk of keys and flowers in previous sections. But this is where it really hits home that it burns into his retina that, you know, he needs to do something about this key and roses are important. And then they stop and they're like, okay, what happened? Well, Susanna doesn't really have any insight into anything. I, I don't know. Like, it seems like the men in this particular book are the, like, the spiritual people and Susanna is more of the like, you know, uh, uh, regular gunslinger, almost taking the place of Roland, I guess, in, in some ways, uh, especially in this interchange. So she doesn't really see anything, but Roland is like, yes, my fathers and their fathers and their fathers spoke to me in the moment and told me I must do this for the bone to speak its last. And then, yeah. you know, Eddie kind of gets his little thing out of it. And then, Eddie and the crew, you know, go to sleep, and Eddie has this crazy dream with fields of roses, dark towers, all of his previous victims of, the, you know, the the uh, Balazars and so on coming at, back as, like, bloody characters who talk to him and explain that, you know, the key is really important, and I think this is the first introduction of the train, isn't it? 
Uh, no, that's well, yes, because are you in the dream? Yeah, I'm in the dream. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, before we get too far into the dream, because I have a lot to say about the dream, um, I just want to go back really quickly and say, like, I don't know that it's clear who saw what in the fire. I think it's clear that Eddie, Eddie, they didn't necessarily see what Eddie saw, but like when like the 15 minutes has passed and they're like, why did you do that? Like Susanna is sobbing and Roland is being super cagey as well. So I, I think they all had some level of spiritual experience, but nobody is really talking about it. You think so? I thought uh, uh, when I went through it, it sort of felt like Roland and Eddie had the like real impact. Yes. But the, the, the mention of her sobbing feels like a really extreme, dream experience for someone who just threw something in a fire so at the okay so let's back up and talk about that for just a second so at the the end of that little subsection Mm -hmm. uh she explains that it almost killed us like it shot sparks and stuff so i kind of thought that that just meant that she was frightened by an explosion of fire and roland says basically uh it's it's like the emperor's fire you know he, mm-hmm. he shoots off these things that look really dangerous but they're mostly for show uh during celebration and, and have no oomph to them so to me and maybe i took i took this incorrectly but i felt like uh she was just kind of frustrated and pissed off that he'd create an explosion of fire in front of her i mean that's very possible i just think like 15 minutes is a long time to be crying about some fireworks oh that's true and i didn't really focus in on the time as Mm. much so i didn't even realize it was 15 minutes here i am sharing these like intricate details and i missed the 15 oh no it's fine it's fine going because i think we got a little bit of a clue ahead because after they have this conversation Eddie and like Eddie, they wait for him to fall asleep and then they hook up, right? And then yeah. they sit there and like have their pillow talk and Roland pretends to be asleep through it all. Which is kind of creepy. Like Roland's like, yeah, I know you guys are having sex. Right. I mean, it's very matter of fact. And I'm guessing like kind of how those things. I remember in Dances with Wolves, that's how they do it. Like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, um, he he like they go to sleep and he like lays awake and like has this like really really upsetting sort of thought about like the coming seas of blood do you remember this uh, uh kind of and okay. then it is well, sort of it rolls into uh, uh Eddie's dream of the the sea of red flowers that he thinks right. is blood right yeah let me read the quote because i think it's worth kind of i wonder about- yeah yeah a little bit okay so he says enjoy it while you can he thought because there is more death ahead. We have we have come to a stream of blood, which is interesting if you think about where this chapter ends, right? Because they hear the stream. Yeah. Hmm, interesting. Uh, that will lead us to a river of the same stuff, I have no doubt. And further along to an ocean. This world, the graves yawn. In this world, the graves yawn and none of the dead rest easy. So what do you think? Do you think that this is some sort of clue as to what Roland maybe saw in the fire? Uh, maybe so both roland and eddie uh mention out loud or well kind of internal in their internal dialogue that um uh they're play things close to their vest right and so like roland knows when eddie has a dream and like kind of questions him and he's like nah i'm not gonna say nothing and roland at the same time is like does the same thing so it's almost like a weird stalemate between the two like they both know something's up but they don't want to talk about it right and, and that is kind of interesting. Also, um, when he mentions that this, like this world and the graves and so on, 
is that him kind of basically describing that they've transitioned from another plane yet yet another world to another world because now we have the beam we have the uh-huh. path that it cuts through the forest and and shardic and and it almost feels like we've changed technologically and um uh uh thematically enough that they're in like a new world basically does that seem reasonable i mean i definitely think we're in a new chapter you know i don't know if we've changed from like mid-world to another world like in the same way we'd go through a door but i feel like like okay so like one of the sort of recurring themes in these books is the tarot cards right or at least in these early ones and as you were saying this this kind of thought occurred to me so it's not fully developed but um welcome in... to the team <laughs> so in the tarot deck the death card you know it looks really scary but typically it means change it means like it can be actually really positive like if you're going through a hard time and you get the death card that means that your life is going to be altered or change paths or like the death of a, one like one door closing and another one opening okay. and i wonder if maybe there's with some of this really bloody death sort of um language that he's using here and description he's using here is kind of in the same way like yes it's foreboding yes it's foreshadowing potentially but like i wonder if it also is kind of coming back to this idea of like as things die new things like like they're entering a new chapter like they're leaving things in the past because you're right it does feel like there is a shift here and it's something that comes up directly after this dream sequence exactly um where they're like talking about going through the gate into something new well, and so, uh, Eddie, uh, and, you know, we're kind of jumping around a little bit, but that's fine. This chapter kind of does jump around a little bit. Uh, uh, Eddie kind of mentions, like, uh, the door again, and and Roland sort of is like, no, not like that. But right. in some of Stephen King's other books, you kind of, like, you don't know that you're in the new uh, new uh, world until you've already, like, walked past the barrier between the worlds and gone right. to the next one. And it's sort of that's what this sort of feels like because, you know, the beaches and uh, some of the other stuff they've gone through were like almost like a wilderness type of place, mm-hmm. but they weren't wilderness with like electronics. And then right. you know you cross this like sort of imaginary line, and Roland did explain, you know, um, it took me you know way longer and thousands of miles to cross this land because gravity is wrong and the world is expanding. And the mm. beams are what's holding it together. Interesting. And to me, when he was starting to explain, like, yeah, you know, I, I crossed the desert with this fresh mule. And I know I kind of sk- sk- basically skipped over that when I was talking about it earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if the world's expanding, he's saying, like, gravity is a little bit different. Time is a little bit different and so on. D- isn't space part of that? And with the with the beams being so close and tying all of these sections to the dark tower, mm-hmm. are I kind of so when I visualize this, I sort of visualize it like um, you remember in, in the Hunger Games, uh, the last one where they have the like uh, little pie shaped cutout of the entire area, and each disaster happens in a section. Hmm. So when they describes the guardians and the the beams coming to the center, oh, I see what you mean. I almost okay. visualize it as like a pie, mm-hmm. and each pie is its own like 
not quite universe, but like maybe a, a sub world that's tied together uh, with the next slice of pie and so on and so forth. And I know that's a weird theory, but uh, that was kind of what I was like picturing in my mind. And every time they walk from one section to the other, it's like, oh, I was in uh, jungle land and now I'm in like futuristic robot bear land, you know, or something mm-hmm. like that. Maybe, maybe that's weird. Okay. Uh, no, it's not weird. I just like need to wrap my brain around it a little bit more. I was, you know, as you're describing this, I'm thinking about like video games because that's all I think about. Um, <laughs> did you play? Oh God, what is it called? The one, the new Egyptian one, Assassin's Creed Origins. Oh, I hate the Assassin's Creed. That's games. fair. I feel very. I, I keep playing them, even though I'm like, why am I playing Like, this? the story is good, yeah. but you slog through the exact it, they same are motions. A slog. Yeah, they are a slog, and then something cool happens. And just enough cool to keep you going. But anyway. Watch the cutscenes, guys. Just watch the cutscenes. <laughs> uh, yeah, and honestly, really, the second one is the only really good one. But um, one thing I will say is, like, the world design is incredible in, in, in Origins. And there's this thing about, like, as you go into new areas, you don't even realize it, like, happening. And then all of a sudden, the the setting is totally different. Like, you're in sort of, like, the on the edge of the Nile. So it's sort of... You know, there's rivers and stuff, and then you're in a desert, and you don't even really see the progression happening until it's, like, very stark. On top of you. Yeah, and I kind of feel like maybe some of that is happening with this. I don't know. I'm very off track. It's the morning. But that's that's what I was visualizing as you were describing these, like, different worlds as sort of the subtle change. And then all of a sudden you're like, whoa, I'm in a totally different setting. How did that even happen? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe I'm going too far, and maybe this is, like, the transition from, like, Phoenix to Florida. <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah yeah i don't i don't know that it's a different world in turn in in the sense of like there are other worlds than these but i definitely feel like it's another world in terms of like the narrative like th- that that you know that past is all prologue and now like the real quest begins and so it feels like you can feel a hard turn happening here well okay so to, to dive real deep because okay let's do it why not <laughs> When we and this is going all the way back, and I, I know this digresses from just the explanation of this chapter, but we we go all the way back to the very first book, and Roland has traveled through all, all these towns, and he's come yeah. from Gilead and so on, mm-hmm. and you know that that's such an important place that everybody seems to know about gunslingers, but this feels like a place that is devoid of knowledge of the gunslingers. It's mm, like it's like a forgotten land. Yeah, exactly, and. When the inhabitants of these other places, you know, recognize what Roland is, know what he's about, and are familiar with the area, this feels like, uh, you know, the mythical uh, East Asian company going to get spice, you know, somewhere. Like, it feels so removed from these other areas that it's it's night and day and i don't know if it's just crossing from you know the country to the city or what but it's real weird it, it it's real strange that a lot of this stuff was like mythical to roland's people mm-hmm. but if it you know stretches across the world and you have these giant beams you know that seems like something you'd be able to see on the horizon right Hmm. Well, I mean, like, isn't, well, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but isn't it like you can see it in subtle ways? Yeah. Like the way the clouds are and the way the bird patterns are? No, that's true. 
But I mean, like, I mean, we're also crossing genres, right? So in a way, we're like on a meta level changing worlds. Like we're going from high fantasy into like cyber post-apocalyptic future into just like sci-fi fantasy. And now we're getting into like, yeah, like post-apocalyptic future past. (laughs) I love these books. (laughs) They're so fucked up. I love them. (laughs) Like they really are like, they are, they are seven middle fingers pointing at like genres. You know what I mean? Like we don't do, we don't fuck with like picking the genre. We're all of the genres. (laughs) Uh, anyway but yeah that's that's interesting i gotta like think about it some more i need to pour myself a little more caffeine and, and yeah, I'll, get, I'll one, get on your level let me ro- get there <laughs> roll that one around a little bit it's just yeah. something that like every time i go through the uh, this series like i think about the the beams and you know especially when they mention like oh yeah you know uh thousands of miles and it took me years and years and years to cross because time's not the same well right you know what exactly is going on is this like a flat earth that they're crawling around on and the pie is the only thing left is is it you know a, a real place are they are they slowly morphing from section to section mm-hmm. i don't know so you're so good about picking up on the like like the metaphysical slash physics level of these books whereas i'm just like but what's going on in their mind i I totally missed the 15 minutes but i went deep dive on the like effects of the beam on the world yeah i just want to point out that we're like there's nothing really to talk about in this chapter (laughs) (laughs) sorry go ahead let's get into this dream all right so eddie falls asleep and uh um this feverish dream starts with you know fields of red which he Mm -hmm. suddenly realizes are roses an attacking creature flying in the air and the tower like up up in the distance and the beams and you know the cre- uh, the the people that he's killed from the uh, uh, Balazar to the gangster that got uh, swiped up by the Lobstrosities, and and these dead people come to life and start sort of taunting Eddie, <laughs> you know, like letting right. him know, hey, uh, you know that that key is an important thing, and uh, this train, there's a train coming up, and it's gonna be a hard one to get going, and once it's going, you aren't gonna stop it, buddy. And they're almost like. Ha ha, you know, you murdered me, but shit's going to get real for you, buddy. You know, right. that, that's the, the feeling you get. And it, as they're describing, like, these guys who are talking to him, they're not uh, fully intact people. They're in the state that he left them, you know, missing chunks of face, like bloodied up, beat mm-hmm. up, you know, all of that. And Eddie's sort of like freaking out a little bit. And then as Mandolini's talking to him or uh, which gangster's talking to him, Rachel? Uh, yeah. Andalini. Yeah, yeah. Andalini's ta- talking to him. The uh, uh, he starts to like sort of have a robotic voice saying right. like <laughs> this will shut down soon, and then he like goes back to his normal tone, and then this will shut down soon. And it's like it's yeah. sort of weird. And he wakes up, and apparently the nuclear cells that power Shardik the Bear are powering down, and mm-hmm. the uh, uh, um, the cybernetics inside of the bear are saying like uh you know uh, don't go stealing stuff out of this they have no <laughs> retail value right <laughs> like this is not for shoplifters in fact oh, uh, uh please contact us immediately uh, there isn't a reward we would love to have uh, this thing back uh, uh thank you uh, come again you know <laughs> it's, it's, right 
It's such a strange transition. I know. And, I love it. <laughs> and they describe it as playing so loud that these guys have to cover their ears. It hurts yeah. to hear. And yeah. so Eddie wakes up kind of in a, a feverish pitch. Susanna is like, you look like hell. What's wrong with you? And he's like, oh, nothing. You know, don't worry about it. And then Roland is like, you know, uh, uh, dreams often tell the truth about what's to happen or what's to come. And Eddie's like, nah, I got you, buddy. I ain't going to tell you nothing. <laughs> And he like keeps the whole dream to himself, and this right. is where you kind of well, have this. There's feeling. like a little standoff, right? And and Susanna has to kind of be like, okay, put him away, boys. Like, <laughs> <laughs> this is not really can. This is not helpful to us. Um, so it's that like there's definitely some dynamic shifting. Before we get too ahead, though, can we talk about the dream? Yeah, let's talk about the dream. Okay, cool. Because there is some stuff in here I want to like touch on. Um, okay, so first of all, I hate dream sequences normally, but this one is actually amazing. I like in horror movies nothing irritates me more than a dream sequence it's just like oh haha there are no stakes um (laughs) but this one's great because it's like i actually feel like it's really well done in that it balances between things that like we are we recognize from previous books that like are very symbolic or whatever but they also in a way sort of mask important things because they like give you the idea that these are just real like surreal things they're seeing it's harder to separate what parts of this are foreshadowing and what parts of it are like stuff we already know all right so um uh let's see here so yeah there's like a lot of random surrealism um and ridiculous dream logic but we also get some insight into how eddie is feeling that i think is really interesting like he talks about being very homesick which of course makes sense but there's all he's also resigned to the fact that his new york city days are over which is interesting considering like he just spent the entire last book trying to figure out a way to get back there but he has now reached a point where he is he understands that like that is past in a way that kind of goes back to what we were just talking about, how we've entered like a new phase. Right. Mm. But we also get some major foreshadowing in this with the stuff about the train and how it runs through all the worlds. What's interesting is that the way you know that this dream is actually really important is that it is saying things that we recognize, but that Eddie wouldn't like the stuff about like the train running through all the worlds. A lot of that is stuff we know because it's Roland in Roland's mind or things that Roland has heard, but not necessarily things that he's passed on. So I think that's important. And of course, we get our best description of the tower yet. Yeah, uh, we true. learned it's dark, the dark tower, because it's color of soot, and it has this like I don't know, like for some reason, I this is the first time I've ever really pictured what it looked like in this specific way. I think usually because I just sort of speed through these things, but I thought I always assumed the staircase was inside the tower. I didn't realize that it was on the outside of the tower, uh, and how it like goes up into the sky and. So I got a question for you in this section, and I kind of breezed right past it. But the the very first thing you notice when he goes into his dream that he's, is that he's carrying a book. Oh yes, you can't yes, go yes, home yes. again, and uh, yes. it's by Thomas Wolfe or whatever. What's the, what is the significance of that? Because I know they read a little passage from it before the dream really takes off, but it was like this is sort of weird. Well, the what, passage what? is the beginning of the Gunslinger book. Oh, is it? Okay. It's the line, it's the opening line of the Gunslinger book. That's why I'm saying, like, this is clearly very important. It's telling you something that that there's no way that Eddie would know. And also, like, it's hinting at sort of meta levels this early in the story. Am am I dumb or is it, uh, uh, I thought it was a Robert, like a Robert Frost poem that the beginning of the book came from. The, like, the man in black, you know, uh, and the Gunslinger followed. I thought that was a poem. 
maybe <laughs> i mean i know that the whole thing is based on like a the browning like it's inspired by that browning poem browning right? so is this like stat are we stacking um uh references to references yeah. on references yeah. okay yes well i mean the cover of the book has the rose the key and the door in it right um like it that's sort of embossed into the front of the book and then the opening line is the opening line of the gunslinger i don't know as you're saying that now i'm starting to go like should i know this i should bells are ringing but like i it's not coming together for me i know i should have been more prepared oh it's fine i actually meant to look up this book and forgot um me too uh (laughs) but i mean i think even if we don't know the significance of the we'll ask i mean uh leroy will come through and tell us why this book matters but um (laughs) but i mean even just the the um title alone in terms of it being like you can't go home and he's having this homesickness thing but also kind of letting those feelings of being able to go home go like he's releasing that a little bit oh my gosh okay okay rachel what, Uh, what, what what uh you can't go home again um okay uh i'll read this we can't talk about the significance of this but okay we can... spoiler blue, blue, blue. Yeah, spoiler yeah. spoiler <laughs> all right this is a big spoiler zone the novel tells the story of george weber a fledgling author who writes a book that makes frequent references to his home okay so going like clear into the future oh interesting okay yeah this... right Yep. Yes. Yes. I get where you're going with this. Okay. So clearly we're going to have to talk about this. Remember I said organically stuff might end up at the end of the show? Well, here it is. <laughs> okay. So more about the dream. Um, so like I said, we get our best description of the Dark Tower, which is awesome. And like for some reason it like really clicked in my brain this time. And I have this really powerful mental image and I'm very excited about that. Um, there's also some really cool little moments in here like the the fact that we hear a horn blowing is interesting and something that is reference it's how the end of the browning poem that's how the browning poem ends with the horn being blown Mm -hmm. but we also know that it has significance without going too far into it Um, again some foreshadowing here that maybe that like at the time you didn't necessarily recognize was foreshadowing and something that eddie would definitely not know anything about there's also the red eyes appear in this cancerous thing floating in the sky. And uh, <clears throat> this is the first time a particular entity actually makes an appearance, I think, ever in the books. Um, I don't think he gets named until it, he gets named in the book Insomnia. but we, And he's very loosely referenced in The Gunslinger. It's a vague creature in the sky, I think, is basically all they really give you in this little dream sequence. Right. But, I mean, if you go back to the first book, I can't remember. What was the name of the, like... The, the crow-headed people? No, no, no. The woman who uh, is, like, demon-possessed. Oh, the, like... um, the, the... He vaguely mentions her when he's going, like, over the complete synopsis of, like, his previous time. She references sort of potentially this entity i'm trying to be vague about this as well as as walter references potentially this entity i want to say it's like sylvia yeah sylvia that sounds right and he he has to give her a poke with the the old gunslinger guns yes oh my god the gunslinger is such a fucking crazy book (laughs) 
<laughs> right, because she's like pregnant, right? Yeah, and he has to like kill Satan's baby inside yeah. of her body mm-hmm. by like penetrating her. But it's a trap. If he sleeps with her, he'll die. So then only right. his guns sleep with her and they <laughs> foul her womb. Oh my god! I just recommended the gunslinger to someone else the other day. I forgot about that scene. I wonder how that's gonna play. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. Okay. Um. Okay. So yes. Uh. I just like um. like a note on this. I remember the first time I read this book and we got a peek at the tower. I was like, ooh, we're going to get there soon. I came so excited. 20 books later. <laughs> um, I also, as I, because I have to point it out every time, the he uses the like Lovecraft's favorite adjective to describe it. He calls the tower Cyclopean and it's just like another kind of reference to to sort of the cosmic horror that he's getting at here with the Lovecraft reference. Um but yeah. So the 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 one thing I will say is there is a lot of like small details in this dream that get highlighted and I don't know if there is a meaning to them more than it's just like weird visuals like the fact that they point out that Jack is walking with a black cane. Does the black cane mean something? I don't know. Is it just a flourish? Is it symbolic? Um, like the name of the deli, Jerry's artistic deli. Does that mean something? Is it foreshadowing? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I like I you know, and neither does Google because I googled the shit out of it trying to figure it out. So if listeners want to chime in and and point out any sort of symbolism or things that we have missed as we've talked about this dream um well let, now that we, player now that we mentioned the book um these are these re- references to like spots in new york maybe that S- stephen king is visited over the right hmm. i mean i definitely am in like an easter egg like mind space right now because of all the the castle rock i've been watching <laughs> but <laughs> But yeah, like, what are we missing with this dream? Uh, I feel like there is more here and like we could have a whole episode just trying to break this thing down. So, uh, but we got other stuff to talk about. So if you guys know of something that we're missing here that's really important or really cool that we that we passed over, like definitely send me an email or let me know on the Facebook page because I feel like I'm missing important details in this. Okay, so. All right. continuing on before we got into the dream we talked a little bit about the like face-off that eddie and roland are having at this point um as they're like planning to head back to the clearing but first they have this little like you know like i said like put them away boys um yeah exactly um and i but one of the things that happens when eddie is coming out of this dream is that he hears this voice that's telling him like don't forget about what you've seen here don't forget about the rose don't forget about the key all that stuff and it made me think about how roland says when he threw through the jawbone into the fire that like he did it because the voice of his father of all his fathers had told him to and i'm and i was like and this voice that's telling eddie this is described as like older and wiser and i'm like oh god that's the voice of his fathers right Mm -hmm. um and I think it's interesting that he also is having this face off with roland because i feel like in this moment he has like graduated into full-grown gunslinger like he's had the training with him and he probably he's not the most experienced but like like he's got his gunslinger license at this point if the father's voices of the fathers are talking to him and he's also becoming a lot more like roland like actively deciding to follow after roland's um uh, 
example of holding things like playing things close to the vest mm-hmm. um and like it's sort of a sign of the changing dynamic between them uh, i don't think that roland especially appreciates him withholding so we see a little bit of that struggle for dominance here uh which is interesting though because even though eddie was like has always been stubborn uh, it was always very clear who the boss was in this scenario and mm-hmm. now Maybe not, not so, so much. much. Yeah, exactly. Well, um, even to the point where the the bone explodes, Eddie's like almost positive that like this will cure Roland and he'll go back to his normal self, and it does not. Mm-mm. And and there's a couple of times uh, through this section where it's like, did that fix you, Roland? And he's like, nope, I'm still broken, guys. Yeah, yeah. I also think the timing of this argument is is interesting in terms of the fact that it's right before we get the contact conversation, mm-hmm. and like it kind of feels like this is where Eddie goes from being his protege and becomes his peer. I don't know if that's going to hold as we move forward, but that was the feeling I got in this moment. The the student becomes the master. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Exactly. Okay. Sorry. So they head back to the clearing and they grab the stuff that they left behind, uh, including the gun, like his gun holster and also the, the piece of wood that, that Eddie was carving and they start following after Shardik's path, which is where we get that moment that we alluded to earlier where they walk through what feels like a gate. And Eddie has this, like, he shudders and realizes that this is, like, where the quest really begins for him and Susanna. Um, and he thinks about his dream and he, and he, he has this sort of instinctual fear um, that probably doesn't bode super well for him um because as we know things don't really work out that great for roland's companions but we'll see okay sorry no no that's it and then uh that's pretty much it no 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 there's more what i thought uh (laughs) okay go ahead okay well okay so they walk into they follow the path for a while and at first it's easy eventually it starts getting harder like it's start you start getting to like swaggy bumps but what was that? Swaggy bumps? Boggy swamps. <laughs> um, and uh, it, it's slow going, so Ruin has them stop and like eat some of their rations, and uh, that's when Eddie calls Roland the Eagle Scout of Oz. Um, and I think this is the reason I want to talk about this is I think it's actually a little bit important. Um, is that he Roland tells him that the quickest way to know about a place is to know what it dreams of. And this is on the heels of Eddie having this really, you know, important dream, right? Mm -hmm. So what it's telling us is it's like reinforcing the idea that like, yes, it was a dream sequence. And yes, there were some tantalizing little clues, but like you really actually need to pay attention to what we just um, learned because this is, it's telling, this is, this is shorthand for what is important in the world. So, um, I, yeah. So, and then they talk about, uh, the wizard of Oz and I, like, I never really thought about it before, but this is kind of Stephen King's wizard of Oz, right? No, that's like, true. Yellow you know, it's Road. like this gang of misfits on a quest, right? We've got like the tin man, we've got the cowardly, cowardly lioness and the scarecrow. And then spoiler alert, maybe we'll get Dorothy and Toto pretty soon. Um, <laughs> but I mean, seriously, like it is. His Wizard of Oz, which I thought was really interesting. Um, also, we learn about something really important, which is the concept of Cotet. This is the first reference of of Cotet. Like, we've heard about Ka, but now, we, now, and we've been calling them their Cotet, but 
technically we've been spoiling things because this is where it finally comes up, um, which is like a group of people who share, who are brought together by destiny and share a, uh, like share a goal. Right. And so this is the first time Roland finds himself at the center of a quartet since like the death of Cuthbert and Elaine and the other friend who I can't remember. (laughs) So when they mentioned this little section here and I heard Roland kind of explain a quartet, I, I I sort of thought of it as, um, you know, you have like a, a a tet that's used in like a orchestra. So it'd be like a, um, uh, is it a cot? No, was it- yeah. Isn't it a quartet in a orchestra? I like don't if know. you have like if you have three three people together, the the words like Latin, I believe. Hmm. You know, I was going somewhere with this. Let's just drop it and move Cotet. on. <laughs> Hold on. Oh, now I need to know orchestra. I mean, you're clearly the more cultured one on the cast because I had never heard of this. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. It's a but it's not pronounced quartet. It's pronounced quartet or. Uh, it's not you don't like emphasize ka right 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 you know it's it's quartet it's it's like a it's just a fancy word for like a group of musicians working together in like a, a, a oh threesome. interesting so and and again this is like i should have probably formulated this idea before i just <laughs> like dropped it that's what here. editing is for right we can make this sound seamless <laughs> But when I heard when I heard or when I heard him explain quartet, I was thinking along the lines of like, oh, you know what? The guns are sort of the gunslinger's musical instrument, and they're a three part that oh. you know like are are learning to play their instruments Percussion. well together. You know, yes, exactly. They're basically a drum circle, is what you're getting at here. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, that little extra bit was just kind of interesting, like. Right. Uh, the whole time we were we've mentioned Cotet a bunch of times, but I was thinking of it in terms of the book, and then it dawned on me when he mentioned this, like, oh, you know what? I believe that's a group of musicians, right? Group, yeah, yep. So it's the Wizard of Oz, and it's also they're also a traveling band. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> layers upon layers, more worlds than these. Okay, so yeah, so we find out about Cotet, which is a big deal that these people have been brought together by fate, uh, as if the doors on the beach weren't enough to tell you that something there are larger forces of the universe of the universe at work here. Um, we also learn that maybe it's not so awesome after all that Roland stopped Jake's death. In fact, it's something we talked about a lot last week and bolsters our theories, I think, in this, that we discussed in the spoiler section for those of you who hung in there. Yeah, he didn't get run over by a, a cab, but he is definitely suffering like oh, maybe even a worse fate right now. So they reach a point where like everything is sort of mashed down and you're kind of like, oh, it's old, Shardick's old stomping grounds. And I kind of had like another like... R.I.P. Shardick moment. Um, <laughs> but it also means that they're getting close to where they were, what they were looking for, right? Because they're trying to follow his path back to find a beam. It's getting harder and harder to follow the path because he was like less enraged at this point. So there are all the claw marks and stuff. So it, it kind of tells you we're getting where we need to go. But also they start to hear, well, Eddie realizes that he's hearing this noise that he didn't realize he'd been hearing for a while. And they decide to have Susanna stay behind with a gun and they're going to go explore it. They head off beyond this like 
group of trees to see what they're hearing. And I don't know. I love this. I, I'm just like creeped out by these. I, there's a sort of subtle sound that you don't even realize you've been hearing for a while that creeps up on you. And then you're like, oh, God, I've been hearing this. Um, so have you ever been in a, a power outage? Yes. So were you in like a big building or like an office or anything like that? Well, I remember there was a really bad one, like a long bad one a few years ago when I was at home. And it was like a moment where we went outside and all the streetlights were out. Everything was dark. People, It was crazy because like everybody was like out of their house on the street, like looking around because it was clear like how cut off from technology we were like we couldn't <laughs> the tv didn't work the our cell phones didn't work we didn't have a landline you know and <laughs> fortunately i had like a, a radio that you could like crank up that had been sent to me by like you know this years ago when i worked at a different publication and so we like were able to put on local radio and find out like that like you know there was this huge power outage and it, it only lasted a few hours but it was kind of like damn we're gonna be so the reason i bring that up is if you've ever been in like a building that you work in or are in all the time uh-huh. and then when the power goes out you're in that same building right but the building's not right like you're so yeah. used to all of the the mechanical noises of like vents and typewriters and like paper shuffling and like people walking around and it being occupied and just that, the hum of of, of, of technology yeah. and electricity like mm-hmm. and then when it goes away and the building is completely silent yeah it's a completely different place and it feels so weird and and I think that's kind of where they're go what I I felt like with this is like the noise is like such a part of the forest that you right. you just ingest it and you don't realize that it's something different until someone else points it out to you 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 don't realize your air conditioner is running or that a fan is blowing on you in a big building until like someone's like turns it off until you sense the absence of it kind of thing because every episode i have to bring it up it also makes me think of the langoliers oh yeah yeah. (laughs) when they're in the airport and they realize like everything is silent (laughs) in like an unnatural way because they're eating time oh. i i wonder if we go back and listen to all 21 episodes of the podcast and i re- if i reference langoliers and everyone it's like uh langoliers i never and Tommy- think about the langoliers except when we're recording <laughs> langoliers and tommyknockers too yes the- yes i was yeah mm-hmm. yep two Stephen I- king gyms yes 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 um okay so but yeah i love that idea of like the creeping sinister dread um and we leave with them going off to investigate it um sort of like a minor cliffhanger definitely in terms of like my curiosity um <laughs> all right so overall what do you think of this chapter oh not bad uh you know this is more of a rachel chapter than a dj chapter mm-hmm. uh there's there's a few things in here that like i really like the the dream did give you a bunch of little easter eggs that you want to kind of pick at and pick apart and you know talking about it out loud after uh going through it a couple times i <laughs> I found some more Easter eggs apparently that I hadn't even like <laughs> really thought about. You know how you kind of fly through something when you're reading oh, yes. and you pick up the little bits and bobs, but it, when you actually have a discussion about it, you realize that you ingested more than mm-hmm. you really were thinking of, and then there, then you now you I I, I was basically going to just poo poo this chapter, and now I'm probably going to have a fever search of about an hour or two of Google. <laughs> To, like, pick up on things that I just discussed with you that I didn't realize I had picked up on to begin with. Yeah, we definitely need to dig deeper into that book. 
So better, better than I thought. I, I'm overall positive, I, and I am glad that we're getting back to more action-packed worlds. Oh, it's about to get exciting, right? We're heading mm-hmm. into some real stuff. Um, okay, so for yeah, I agree with you. For the most part, I really loved this chapter. I think um, it has a little problem with being repetitive, um, and it made me, it kind of brought me back a little bit. The way that he's like just handing out little teeny tiny bits of information, breadcrumbing, uh, reminded me a little bit of the 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 beach which was making me nervous but like overall i really love the chapter because of things like the dream sequence um i like that we got some subtle world building in that um I love the stuff with the bone and the fire just so spooky with it like changing and and becoming these like really bizarre things that are going to ultimately be pretty important um and the spooky, interesting dream sequence with the red eyes floating over the tower gave me that, like, sense of wonder and anticipation that these books do so well. Um, yeah, I'm glad that we are solidly back in Midworld. We're getting the, the fantasy. We're getting the, the horror. We're getting the technology. And, and just, um, it's got me excited for all the weird shit. Now, <laughs> we've let, got to look forward to let me throw this at you rachel how do you think you would have felt about the dream sequence had both of us not had so much of the of this series already kind of in our heads and under our skin because right when you when you get here now i'm excited for this chapter right but i think when i went through it the first time i was like bah okay great dream sequence whatever and like then because it's so far removed from the future do you even really you know come back and and remember this i think at the time it was a perfectly fine dream sequence i think my i was so invested in understanding what the tower was that that's the part that i would have clued in on and been creeped out by the um the floating red eyes in the sky, but like my, I would have been singularly focused on the tower and all the other stuff that has significance in retrospect would have probably gone right by me and would have been lost in the weird like imagery. And I, I, but I think it's one of these things where it's meant to be appreciated on a reread. Like, you uh... know, the best movies that like have twists or, like they're actually better the second time you watch them because you realize all of the little subtle things. Yes. Memento is a perfect example that like the, the first time you watch it, you're like, wow, that was crazy. But then when you watch it the second time, you're like, wow, this is really amazingly put together. And like all of the clues were here. Basically every time time travel book. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I mean, I'm also thinking of like, you know, the Shyamalan of it all, right? Like uh, you go back and you, you're like, oh, every time that you see this red thing, it's a sign of a ghost or whatever. You know what I mean? Like there's little things in there, little flourishes that like are able to be passed over that like rewards a reread. And I think that's the case with this dream sequence. Does it have the same significance? It does, Would it have had the same significance at the time? No. But I don't, I don't know that it needs to. I feel like it, it's a reward for the second time third time fourth time through um yeah so uh, just to throw it out there since we mentioned time travel there's an indie time travel movie from like 2004 2005 that's uh, um really good not stephen king related at all but it's called uh-huh. primer oh my god and so good that one's one where like the second time and the third time you're like yes yes i mean i maybe- still don't understand it but it's good <laughs> 
All right. So um, our plan for the next episode, um, The Wastelands, book one, uh, Jake, Fear and a Handful of Dust, chapter one, Barren Bones, sections 26 through 32. That's right, folks. We're finishing the first chapter. <laughs> We're going to be wrapping up Barren Bone with sections 26 through 32. So that's the plan for next time. <laughs> so let's wrap it up. Anything else before we, we call it for today? I think that's it. I think it's time for me to go get breakfast and you to wake up and uh, go pour myself another cup of coffee. Exactly. Yeah. So I guess on that note, thanks guys for listening. Thanks for watching. Um, well, no watching, I guess, but uh, we will be back again, maybe sooner this time. Yeah. With I think more so. casts uh, provided now the world does not burn down. Yeah. We'll it's be been back. a real, real weird month. So if you live in California, <sighs> stay safe. Uh, you know, uh, uh, each day is a gift. So if you wake up, do, do something fun. All right, Rachel, where can people find you? If they want more of these dulcet tones, you can find me on the Zombie Girls podcast. And season two of the Stream Queens has officially arrived on the feed. So you can listen to Mars and I review things on Netflix. Although I think we're going to do a little Shudder coming up. A little Shudder action. So if you have a Shudder subscription, we'll be covering some of those movies too. How about you, kind DJ? Of, I've been kind of drying up in the world, uh, you know, now that I've moved again and I have to actually think really hard at work. I don't have as much uh, free time to uh, mm. expand my horizons. Uh, but I am thinking about starting up a new website. Uh, it's called uh, dongdancer.com. What? <laughs> is that real? That is real. I oh, oh, my God. So what is it going to be? I don't know. Um, is it going to be do- dancing dongs? So I was trying to I was trying to co- convince a couple of my uh, friends that make puppets and stuff to make a giant dong puppet. And it would just be like, <laughs> oh uh, it would be a series of training videos that teaches you how to dance with your dong. <laughs> It's like, <laughs> is it gonna be like puppetry of the penis situation? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, like this uh, is how you make the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> t- today we're going to do the helicopter. Oh no, no, no! We, we call this one the tea dipper. You know, oh my like... god! Can he, can your little puppet like sleep in a banana shaped hammock? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, this one's, it's just like a, I, I just bought it on the lark thinking about it. I don't know if it'll ever turn into anything, but, uh, otherwise you can find me on this cast. Um, I will be out filming, uh, in a few weeks, uh, in Nebraska, uh, working on the next iteration of Shivers Down Your Spine, as well as Robo Mummy Part 9, which, uh, has a full soundstage and big production value. So, oh my God, uh, I can't wait. I'm so excited. Yeah, it's super cool. They, they, they have an entire spaceship in a soundstage for us. So like a real like honest to goodness like uh lost in space spaceship Robbie the robot type stuff you know it's oh my like God. yeah it's it's pretty cool it's uh if you go to Lyons Nebraska that's where you'll find it Oh, congratulations, Deej. I love that the I love that Dead Lantern Pictures is just leveling up every time. Oh, so man. exciting. <laughs> every couple of years we had to film something. I know, but you guys are talking about doing a Western next? Oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah, they uh, they got permission to use an abandoned Western town that's on a museum what? property. Holy um, shit. And the museum was so excited about the production that they offered to staff the entire town with their, like, cast actors that are in there during the day for Oh, my us. God, that's amazing. Yeah, and uh, real horses. Oh, I, I saw Matt on, like, Facebook was like, anybody got a horse? <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i mean that's legit uh we had a pig on the last shoot which is like crazy what? yeah 
Yeah, uh, you put out a call for like a, to cast a pig, and you would be surprised how many people actually float up through the the water to offer you up their pigs of various sizes that are pets in their house. Oh my god! It's a real weird world we live in. One of my co-hosts had a pet pig. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. On Splattercast, Sarah has Sarah had a pig that unfortunately passed away like last year. But but yeah. Mm-hmm. Somebody tells you about that and you're like, what? I mean, I guess they make great pets. I don't know. Mm. I don't know. Uh, anyway, you can find anyway. me on the internet uh, yes. and with Rachel. And that's about yes. it really for now. <laughs> so yep. thanks for listening. And we will see you next time on another episode of Cast of <laughs> Bye, everybody. Hi, welcome to the Spoiler Zone. All right, so what follows is a brief discussion of what DJ meant when he brought up the topic of the book, uh, You Can't Go Home Again. All right, you've been warned. You will be spoiled. Okay. Oh, thanks for staying hanging out. Here's our Spoiler Zone. Okay, so this thing about him, the the book referring to an author who writes about home, are you saying you think it's like an allusion to the fact that Stephen King is, is in his own book? Yes. Oh, damn. Like, this almost, uh, this is almost like, hey, guys, just a heads up, FYI, I'm going to be in my own book pretty soon. You Getting know in there. That actually makes me feel good because I always felt like the fact that Stephen King shows up later was... Was, like, forced and super, like, robotic. Well, also because it was, like, on the heels of him getting hit by that van and I feel like... He was in a really weird place and mm. like feeling a very particular connection to the Dark Tower at that time that he put himself in the book. And like if he's already foreshadowing that in book three, that changes it a little bit for me. Yeah, what that's do you think? I, I well, so I never got this before. This is brand new to me. But when I <laughs> when I read that little like blurb from the, the book, it's about, you know, him and his hometown like that's a. That's like, oh, Stephen King knew he was going to be in the book. And like maybe all these stories are sort of a reference to like Stephen King's home in fiction as a general rule. And that like uh, eventually he's going to be talking about himself, which that's it's really weird. I I don't know this book at all. And I might have to go find it and read it now. Right. However, this reference stuck in in such a way. Yeah. uh, Does make you uh, feel like he's alluding to the fact that he will be in his own book. I mean, this is definitely, I mean, this, as I have learned through befriending Leroy, is that, like, the literary illusions in this book are come fast and furious. I mean, the book starts with, like, five different quotes from other books, right? Oh, that's true. And so, like, I do think that even though I didn't realize it at the time, like, King was definitely talking about things, like, like, on a meta level, the way that literary like the way that he could be weaved into the story sort of organically mm-hmm. that in retrospect now feels more organic than it did at the time we'll see when we get there i may still maintain my irritation at his arrival <laughs> when we actually get there but um but yeah that's i don't know this is this is definitely food for thought i'm gonna like like i said roll my brain around in a little bit more okay this is a big chunk in the back and back to the plot yeah <laughs>